Amen, amen, man. God is awesome, amen. And he is here and he is moving and um, happy Father's Day. And whether you, this is your first time here at Harvest, you've been here many times, you are family here and we love you. I'm so thankful that you are here. Thanks for walking this journey uh, together with us. And we love to worship and I'm confident that God is going to move in a big way today. And so my ask of each and every person in this room is that you would open your heart and open God's word uh, to see how the Holy Spirit would move and respond accordingly. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 if you want to get a head start there as we continue our Heart of the Matter series. Thank you so much. And we love to worship at harvest. We love to worship through singing. We love to worship through God's word. We love to worship through giving. Thank you for your, your generosity and would ask that you would continue to do that if this is your church home and uh, you can give in the back or give online. Um, we serve a God who moves, amen? We serve a God who's almighty, who reigns sovereign. We serve a God who has continued to work and answer prayers, amen? And uh, we, we love to be a praying church here at Harvest. We talk about being unceasing prayer. And we ask you guys to, to pray three weeks ago for a very big request for a very significant member of our, members of our church family for Bryce and Amy. And I want you to know that God heard, God answered, and God worked in a big, exciting way. So I want to share with you that uh, Bryce and Amy were offered a job at the church that they were candidating at last weekend and accepted. So I'm excited about that. Amen. Praise God, right? That's awesome. And so we're super thankful for that. We love you guys. And it is bittersweet. We love you guys so much. It's going to hurt that you leave, but we are thrilled about what God is doing in your life. And um, we want to celebrate that. So two weeks from today, July the 3rd, is going to be Bryce's last Sunday here, Bryce and Amy's last Sunday here. That evening at six o'clock, we'd love for you to gather back with us. We're going to have a time of celebration. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have a time just to honor them and honor God and celebrate all that God has done in the last two and a half years and to send them off in the gospel goodbye that it is. And uh, it's, not, it's not forever, but it is a little see you later as we continue to partner in ministry, even though we're going to be at two different locations. Like, they're family, right? They're not going to get rid of us. <laughs> and we can't get rid of them. I love them very, very much. They're incorporated into the fabric of, of the work that God is doing here at Harvest. So bring a dish to share. Bring a favorite snack. Bring a dessert if you want. It's going to be low-key. It's going to be a hangout. Uh, come together ready to pray. If you can't make it, I know it's a holiday weekend, and I know it's late notice. I'm so sorry about that. I would just ask that you would take the time or find a way through a card or through whatever to express your appreciation uh, to Bryce and Amy. Bryce and Amy have given all of themselves the last two and a half years in a time where it has not been very easy at all. And so we believe in, in just giving honor where honor is due. And so we want to do that. And so be intentional about that. And we love you guys. Um, God has continued to work and he continues to answer prayer. We've been praying for who God would send next uh, to fill the important role on staff that will be open. Um, and God has answered. We've been praying and talking with a, a candidate uh, for the last three months or so out of Indianapolis, Indiana, um, out of GCC's sister church, Radiant Church, used to be Harvest Indy West. His name is Nate Pine. You'll see his picture on the screen here. Um, he and his wife, Stephanie, and their five-year-old son, Shasta, who they adopted from Hong Kong two years ago, will be here next week to lead worship. Um, and so just be in prayer, prayer for wisdom for the church leadership and, and for Nate and Stephanie, as we see, is this guy's next guy. I would encourage you to be here, celebrate that, let them know the harvest love that is, emanates throughout this room and the love of God and, and give them a good old harvest welcome. And so just be excited about that, be prayerful about that and be expectant to see what God will do. And so we're so thankful for that and excited to see how God's going to move. God is continuing to move, right? I, we asked last week, God has opened a door, and this is who we are, to take the gospel to our neighborhoods and to the nations, to, for us to send a team down to our gospel partners next month to the Dominican Republic. I asked you, uh, God had really laid it on my heart to come alongside us and partner with us, one in prayer and two financially, to see the church planted, to see churches strengthened, to see a, a school that is really a center uh, a light on a city on a hill there uh, anchored. And uh, we, I was asking, uh, the cost of the trip uh, is about $7,000 for the four of us that are going down. Um, and it is above that to see if God would provide $2,000 that we can gift down there. Can I tell you that God has already brought in $8,300 of that? So if you think about that, seven plus, amen, seven plus two is nine. So we're well on our way. So I want to encourage you, again, generous hearts lead to multiply gospel opportunities. One, thank you for being a generous, gospel-centered, great commission-focused, committed to church planning church. Um, and so I want to continue, if God lays it on your heart to give above and beyond, this is not a replacement for a tithe, above and beyond to that, you can do that online or in the box at the back in different ways. But I just praise God for what he's doing. Now it is Father's Day, and no father, I want to share some information to you, no Father's Day would be, well, Father's Day without a couple of these. So I got a question for you guys, it's really, really important, right? Anybody know who the smallest person in the Bible is? All you Bible scholars out there? Yeah, well, here it is, it's, it's Nehemiah. 
Ah! Hey, man, Father's Day without dad jokes is not really Father's Day, right? Hey, who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Anybody know? Samson, he brought the house down. Yeah, I'll be here all week. Hey, anybody need an ark? Because I know a guy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, throw the tomatoes now. Okay, last but not least, hey, who's the greatest babysitter in the Bible? David, because he rocked Goliath to sleep. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Uh, God is good. We are going to see how God used David in a huge way um, to face his giants and to slay the giants. So the reality is, though more than a punchline, the story of David and Goliath is a storyline for our lives, right? All of us in this room, every single one of us are facing giants. They might look different. They might sound different. We might respond differently because the giant that you're facing, I might be like, no big deal. And the giant I'm facing, you're like, get over yourself. And I'm like, I can't, right? But we're all facing so I don't, I don't know what your giant is today. I don't know if it's a spiritual giant, a physical giant, a financial giant, emotional giant. We're all facing giants. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And the text from today, the reality of today, the beauty is that God's going to teach us how to face our giants and how to overcome them through him. And we all have that question today of will we choose to stand or will we choose to shrink when we come face to face with our giants? Will we choose to flee or will we choose to act in faith? Today, we're going to see how God can take us from anxiety to victory, all through the power of his word. The big idea for today is this. You'll see it on the notes and on your screen, that my confidence in the character of God gives me the conviction and the courage to stand for God. My confidence in the character of God, the unchanging, unmatchable character of God gives me the courage and the conviction to stand for God in every season in every situation, no matter the obstacle, our God is a greater overcomer. Amen? And every single obstacle is actually an opportunity to display God's glory, as we're going to see today. Go with me. Join me in prayer, if you would. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that for everything that today represents. And ultimately, we thank you for how you are our Heavenly Father. God, that you loved us, and, and when, when we didn't deserve it, how you pursued us, how you continue to lavish your love upon us, how you made a way when there was no other way, how you sent your son Jesus to die for us so that we could move from adversary to adopted because you want us forever as a part of your family. God, thank you for that. Thank you for adopting us through the blood of Jesus Christ into your family and giving us the same rights as your son Jesus Christ. And God, today we stand and we need you. We are here to declare our dependence on you. And we are here to own the reality of the giants facing all of us. God, some of us barely made it into this room or online because the weight of what we are, are carrying is just so heavy. Or the fear of what we are facing, God, just it leaves us in this place of, of quivering and God, today, I just pray that you would meet us in whatever state we are. And God, that you would do the work that you want in us and then through us so that you get the glory. God, give us the strength to stand when our flesh wants to shrink. And God, we love you and we need you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, last week, as you turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one for you in the back. We'd love for you to have it as a copy and just a gift to you. Last week, we saw that God hand-selected this young, adolescent, freckle-faced, light-skinned, red-headed kid named David out of the pasture to become his future king to reign over his people. He rejected Saul because Saul rejected him. And because Saul was not a man after God's own heart, God says, I need a man after God's own heart to lead my people. The prophet Samuel anointed David. And even though God had chosen, called, and anointed David, it was not David's time yet to reign. That's a hard enough lesson for many of us. David was a man after God's own heart, and he went right back to the pasture, right back to Saul, and, and God used his musical ability to, to spell, to get rid of the evil spirits that Saul was facing and now we find David here back in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. We're going to see him in a minute, but he's back at the ranch. He has left the court. And he goes back and forth between where the nation of Israel is and home. And turn with me, if you would, to chapter 17, verse 1. 
This is the word of the Lord. And now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped along between Soko and Azekah in Ephestem. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And they came out from the camp of the Philistines, a champion, Goliath of Gath, whose height was six feet, uh, cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a shield bearer went before him, and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and the all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. The battle for the Philistines continued. We have met them before, and it will continue on. The Philistines were seafaring people. They lived near the Mediterranean Sea, and they were in the land of Canaan. Now, remember back into Exodus that God said, I will give you the promised land. So God had already promised, this is a big, important reality, the land where the Philistines were to the Israelites. The Israelites just had it in faith, go and take it. No matter what stood in front of them, they had to step out in faith and obedience to take it. God had also told Joshua, everywhere you step, I will give you that land. But stepping requires stepping, right? If you stay still, no land. If you step out in faith, I will do it. No matter what is in front of you, whether it's a wall, a river, or a giant, I know you might be scared, but you've got to trust me and step out anyway, because I'm with you. Now, the Philistines didn't like the Israelites because they knew they were coming for them. They wanted to drive them out. And where they were, you'll see a picture on the map on the screen right here, You'll see this red star in the middle, if you can see it, depicting where the battle is. It is a gateway into Judah. It is a gateway into the territory where the Israelites were. So if the Philistines conquered the day, not only would the Israelites become their servants, but they would just rampage all the way through Israel and Judah. This was a vitally important battle. The battle lines were drawn. The challenge was laid. The Philistines poured forth their champion, Goliath of Gath. It says here in the text that he was six cubits in a span. You translate that, he's nine feet, nine inches tall. He's a big hombre, right? It's tall. He had chain metal. This was the beginning of the metal age, and the Philistines were advanced. He had chain metal body armor on him. He had a spear that weighs 15 pounds. He was undefeated. Now, as king, you know whose job it was to represent Israel in battle? Saul. This is representative warfare, which will be important. This is, we have our country, you have yours, we have our army. One-on-one, winner-take-all, mano-a-mano, the representative will dictate the reality for the nation that wins and loses. If Goliath goes down, the Philistines will serve the Israelites, in theory. If the Israelite, whoever they send out, if he goes down, the Israelites will serve the Philistines. The stakes are high. And as soon as this guy stepped forth, Goliath, in all his might, casting a larger-than-life shadow, literally, Saul and the Israelites were filled with fear, and they were dismayed. Saul was a big, tall guy. He was like 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". He's still giving up three feet, three inches. It is daunting what stands in front of him. And I don't know what giants stand in front of you, but I'm guessing they feel like Goliath felt to the Israelites. And you're filled with dismay and and fear at the sight of them, at the thought of them, but you can't get rid of them. We're going to see in this text in a minute that for 40 days this standoff ensued. The reality with our giants is this. You can't go around them. You can't go under them. You can't ignore them. You have to face them. Or you can't 
accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. The Israelites could not have all of the promised land that God wanted them, commanded them, gifted them, if they did not face their giants. And God has things that he wants for you, but until you step out in faith and face your giant, not in your own strength, but in God, they are not accessible to you. You will not experience them. But the giants are real. And I don't know what's debilitating you, keeping you from moving forward in certain areas, but maybe it's a debilitating physical illness for you or a loved one. Maybe it's a mental illness, a dysfunction in one of your relationships. Maybe it's a family relationship with your kids, or maybe it's a friend, or maybe it's a loved one or a spouse. Maybe it's marriage strife or trouble. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's a job issue, future uncertainty, financial obstacle that you just can't see around, and it is weighing on you. Today, we need to own the reality of what has a grip on us. Because God wants to break through for you today. But he, there will be no breakthrough before we own our physical giant or a spiritual giant that is in front of us. We have to name the battle. We have to name the obstacle. And then we have to choose to fight, which is what we're going to see today. As we own the reality of what has its hold over us and surrender to God who reigns sovereign over us and and we allow God to fight for us, Jesus will provide victory for us. I promise you that. Victory, as we're going to see later, might look different than what you would describe it as. But as we entrust it to God and say, God, have your way and do whatever you want, I'm willing to face my trauma. I'm willing to face my future uncertainty. I'm willing to face this or that. We will watch God work in us and through us in a way that is mind-blowing to us. I promise you that because God's word promises you that. Amen? It's his promise. Through the power of God, no longer do we have to flee or be afraid of our giants. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is standing for God in the presence of fear. It's continuing to move forward. We can face our giants with courage and confidence because we know the character of our God. We're going to see that today. Giants, what's your giant? Think about that right now. And you're like, I don't got one. Dig deeper. I love you, but you got to dig deeper. If you want God's best for you, you got to go there. And I know you might not go here right now, but may it begin to scratch the surface in this week. You really begin to, okay, I need to open up about this thing I buried a year ago or three years ago or five years ago. And every time it tries to pop its head, I beat it down because I don't want to deal with it. But it has a hold on you that you might not even realize. Because you can't ignore it. You could try, but it will own you. But God has victory for you. So how do we face them? How do we face our giants? Three keys to victory as we face our giants today. The first is this. Confront courageously. Confront them courageously. Look with me at verses 12 through 18 of this text. Now the story continues. Now David was the son of Ephraim of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. David was the youngest. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. Jesse's getting old. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. So they're on the front lines facing face to face with Goliath. The names of his three sons who were in the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp for your brothers and also these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token back from them. Jesse is a concerned father, right? Wouldn't we all? How are my boys doing? They didn't have like, they couldn't text back, dad, I'm okay, right? They couldn't call. They didn't even have a, a Pony Express, So he wanted to send David to bring nourishment and refreshment. You had to provide your own food in battle those days. You think MREs are bad, right? Imagine not having food at all. You had to provide your own food. And here we have David. Again, the anointed future king of Israel turned into DoorDash delivery David, right? Literally. Take some food and cheeses. Go see how they're doing and come back. What humility David has. 
What humility. For 40 days, Goliath taunted the Israelites. He challenged them, morning and evening. They woke up, and Goliath's like, come on. Why are you so scared? And whatever he said, can you imagine what Goliath is saying? <laughs> they went to bed with Goliath challenging them. They, they drank their coffee, and they heard Goliath challenging them. Over and over and over in their head, they heard Goliath challenging them. What is that thing in your life that you go to bed thinking about and you wake up worrying about? Because that's probably your giant. What is it that you can't shake? that is taunting you, that is hanging over you. And look at how the Israelites respond. Verse 19, And now Saul and all the men of Israel were at the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment of the host, was going over out to battle, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. So again, day after day, it's like Groundhog's Day. They get up there and they hear Goliath and look at what happens. And David left the things in charge to the keeper of the bags. He left the cheese. He left, he's like, I want to get on the action, understand what's going on. And he ran to the ranks and he went and he greeted his brothers. And as he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and he spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And look at verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, what did they do? They fled from him, and they were much afraid. They weren't confronting, they were fleeing. Again and again and again. Instead of standing, they started to shrink. Instead of confronting, they started to retreat. Is that you this morning? Is that me? Instead of dealing with the actual issue, you try to avoid it. And you begin to shrink back from God. Instead of facing the giant, you allow the giant to have a grip on you and go, if God was good, he wouldn't allow this giant in my life. That's not true, by the way. God wants to work in and through that. There are some things and some developments, some spiritual maturity in all of our lives that can only happen in a conflict or the crisis or the valley. Or we begin to retreat from church or small group because we don't want to actually own that we have a giant that we're afraid to face because we're too prideful to admit it. Is that you? And if we're in church and somebody asks us about it, or if we're in small group, and maybe, or maybe we're physically in small group, but man, we're not there and we're not opening up. We're not actually sharing the realities of our life. Out of fear, we're fleeing. God wants to free you. Because this isn't about you. I love you, but it's not about you. It's all about him. I'm struggling. Let God work. We fight so hard in our lives, whether it's secular or even believers, to put up the front that we're strong enough and we are okay. Friends, we are not okay outside of God. It is okay to be not okay. We need help. Every, I need help. We all need help. But we need to admit that first. Where have you shrunk away from God's word, shrunk away from your prayer life, shrunk away from being faithful to come to church, being faithful to go to small group, shrunk away from biblical community because you're fleeing actually in fear. Now there are seasons and there are situations, yes, yes, yes. But the principle is God asks us to confront it, not in our own strength, but with his. Because friends, you're not alone. We are with you as a church and God is with you. But nothing for you will change until you begin to confront this by naming it and facing it. And stepping out in faith. David asked Saul, hey, what will be done for the person that kills this guy? And here's the answer, verse 25. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. He'll give him his daughter to marry and make his father's house free in the land of Israel. So here's a three-pronged reward, and it's a mighty one. One, you get to marry into the king's family. That's a big deal. Two, you're going to become rich. Three, your father's house won't have to pay taxes anymore. That's huge, right? And yet not one person in all of Israel stood up to the challenge. Not one. All it takes is one sometimes. Will you be the one today? 
Verse 26, David responds this way in the camp, and he said to the men who were standing there, what shall be done for the man? And then 27, the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. 26 is key. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's like, and he's a teenager, remember that, right? Imagine rolling up being like, are you really going to let him blaspheme our one true God like that? You're just going to sit here and take it? And they're like, yep. And David wouldn't stand for that. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, Paul writes, but set an example for the believers in life and faith, which is what David's doing right here. He's like, really, guys? You're going to let some dude in chain mail talk you out of trusting the one true God to be obedient to what God has called us for? But man, where are you doing that in your life today? David's like, who's going to step up to the plate? Who's going to stand up to shut this defiance man up to remove the disgrace from Israel? Are we just going to sit here shrinking and soiling in our loincloth? That's interpretation. David was a teen. He was most likely not old enough to serve in the army of Saul, but he was absolutely old enough and courageous enough to stand in and fight for the one true God. Are you? Don't let what other people tell you what you can and can't do stop you from what God is calling you to do. Where are you doing that? He then comes down to verse 28. He has this interaction with big bro, his oldest brother, who probably has a big grudge with him, chip on his shoulder, because he's a little ticked that David got anointed to be king and he didn't. Now, Eliab, verse 28, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down here? It's like, run to get away. And with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? He's like, you're slacking on your day job. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him as they had before. Now, Eliab's not going to win the brother of the year award. He's challenging David's motives. Frankly, he's just hurt. He's frustrated with David. Because David got a blessing from God that he didn't. God chose David and he didn't. Eliab's bitter. The reality here is that David's heart is not filled with presumption. It says that in the text right here. I know your presumption, that word means pride. David's heart is the opposite of pride. He is humble. But it's a bold humility that in humility surrenders his heart to the Lord and says, I trust you and whatever you call me to do, I will do. And surrenders and then steps out in faith. He is not being reckless and being like, I can go kill Goliath on my own. No, he's going, my God can do it. Why aren't we trusting my God? There's a huge difference in that. It's a bold humility. Friends, I, one of the biggest lessons in this text is this. The greatest giant that we have to face is not the Goliath standing over there. It is our lack of belief in God in here. That is the first giant that we must confront courageously today. It's not the giant over there. It's not the car payment. It's not the broken relationship. It's not this or that. Look, those things need to be faced. But first and foremost, I need to believe in my heart that my God can do it. I need to deal with the unbelief in my own heart first. That was the Israelites' biggest problem was that they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe that God could do it or God would do it. And David's like, come on, bro. God can and God will. Let's go. And it's okay to not believe in a way. In the New Testament, Luke, read Mark chapter 9. The father said to Jesus, if you can do this, and Jesus stopped them and what did he say? If I can, all things are possible for the one who what? Believes. And then the father said, Lord, help my unbelief. If we're struggling to believe today, may our prayer be, God, help my unbelief. Don't power through and go, I believe when you really don't. Just own it. I don't believe. God, help me. I want to grow in this. Later in that text in Mark 9, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, some things are only possible through belief and through prayer. Our lack of belief is clogging the reality of the work that God wants to do in us and through us. Where do you need to believe today? What giant do you need to believe that God is working, God can, and God will 
That is the number one giant we need to face right now. It's not out there, but it's in here. And isn't it sad, and isn't it indicative somehow of our church culture today, that some of the most discouraging people of David following the Lord were actually the people of God? David, you're just a scrawny little runt. What are you doing here? I'm afraid over here. Why are you talking about the reality that our God can do it? Friends, I hate that. And may that not be true here, but it's a true reality of our human nature. Some of the most discouraging aspects come actually from within the church and not outside the church. God couldn't heal that. God couldn't do that. God couldn't save this marriage. Yes, God can. Amen? Whether God will is a different question. But yes, he can. Yes, he can. My God can do all things. Where do you need to believe today? Because when you retreat cowardly, like Eliab and all the other things, you turn often to cynicism and criticism, which is what Eliab was doing. And may that not be so here. Is that true in your life? Are you being critical or cynical of other people in your life? That God can do this. And you're like, no, he hasn't. Because God hasn't done it in me. Well, God's working. He might not just be giving you what you want, when you want it, how you want it. That's pride, by the way. Because you haven't dealt with the pride heart issue in your own heart. God's working. Trust him. God absolutely can heal your marriage. God absolutely can reach that person with the gospel that cusses you out at work every day. God absolutely can provide financially. God absolutely can heal heal your relative's illness. God absolutely can. You know how I know that? Because this text tells me that in verse 26. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the, what's the next word there? Living God. Our God is alive, amen? Amen. Let me say that again. Our God is alive, amen? amen? Look at your neighbor and say, God's not dead. He's not dead. He is alive, and he is a God of restoration. He is a God of reconciliation. He makes old things new. He makes dead things alive. He makes lost people found. He heals. He moves, and he is alive, and he is active today. Amen? He's the same God. We sang it. He is the exact same God that parted the Red Sea that tore down the walls of Jericho, that is alive and active today, that took a prostitute in Rahab and put her in the genealogical line of the Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Your past doesn't define you. May you allow your Savior to define you as you confront the unbelief in your heart and surrender to God. And God, I'm confident in your character that you are the same alive God today. So I will stand with conviction and I will stand with courage. Do it again. I will point to you and I will stand for you and do whatever you want, however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, for your glory and not mine. And God will move. I promise you, God will answer that prayer. Will you begin to pray that as you face your giants today? So often we try to biggie-size our McDonald's meals, but we refuse to biggie-size our God. God is greater than your giant. He's a living God. David is not deterred in facing his giants because he's willing to confront courageously because he trusts and he stands in the character of the living God. The God that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same Holy Spirit, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, you know what Paul writes in the New Testament? You know where he's at right now? He's in you and he's in me if you're a believer in Christ. Our God can our God will. Praise God. He's going to do it his way. This isn't health and wealth. This isn't prosperity. Your life will be hard. Your life will be difficult. You might not make a million dollars. You might still struggle financially, but God can give you the hope. God can give you a powerful testimony to work eternally in the way that he wants to in you and through you. My confidence in the character of God gives you the conviction and courage to stand for God today, tomorrow, and always. The seemingly insurmountable obstacle or giant in front of me is no, is no match to the supernatural power of our God. Trust it, act in it, name your giant, confront the belief or unbelief in your heart, and stand for God. The second key to victory in facing my giants is this, armor up appropriately. Armor up appropriately. David then, the word gets back to Saul, and like, hey, there's this kid, and, and David, he's saying these things, and he's sort of I don't know what to do with it. And so he gets back to Saul. Saul says, hey, bring David in here. And, 
And in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, him being Goliath. Your servant, meaning me, David, will go and fight the Philistines. David's like, no one else will stand up, I'll stand up. And where in your life is God calling you to stand up? And you're looking around going, nobody else is doing it, but God's like, I know it, but I'm calling you to right now. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. If I've called you to stand, stand. Because you're not alone, because I am with you. And David says, okay. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he, is, he was a man of war from his youth. How many of you have heard that so many times in your life? You are not able. You are not able. You are not able because fill in the blank. He's saying to David, you're too young, you're too scrawny, you're a runt. Friends, I love you. It is, the reality is, yes, I am not able. But you know who is able? God. He is able, and he is able right now. God is after your availability, and he will give you the ability. Don't let what other people tell you you can't do stop you from doing what you know God is calling you to do and that God can do. He is able. David responded to Saul in this way, your servant, and isn't that a humility? He keeps responding to Saul, your servant, because he's respecting God's overall sovereignty by respecting the earthly authority, even though Saul was not acting well, that God had placed over him and talking humbly, but he didn't back off, right? He didn't say, okay, Saul, you don't think I can do it? I'm going to back away. You're my boss here. Well, no. He goes, my God has called me to it, so I love you. I'm going to talk to you respectfully, but I'm still going to do it because my God is sovereign, and I need to obey him over everybody else. I'll respond to you respectfully, affectionately, humbly, but I'm going to stand, and I'm going to fight, and that's a model for all of us. David says in 34, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And there came a, when, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's pretty awesome. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, remember David's scrawny, he's a teenager, shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the what? Living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He's dropping anchor in the character of our God. My God can, my God will. So let's go. And Saul then became convinced. He's like, fine, go, and the Lord be with you. And that's all David needed. The Lord was with him, so he decided to stand against the giant in front of him. David's a teenager. You think playing Call of Duty's cool? Man, he's out in the pasture fighting hand-to-hand combat with lions and bears. He's chasing a sheep that has been taken, grabbing literally a lion by the mane and killing it with his hands. You know anybody else that goes after sheep that have been taken? or that have left a sheepfold, that pursues. His name's Jesus. David in this whole text is pointing to Jesus. Praise God. Saul then says in 38, well, if you're going to fight, you need to have armor. He put on his, Saul put on his helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of chainmail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Ironic, because David used to be Saul's armor bearer. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and, and he approached. He went to the Philistine. Now Saul is like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, David's not. So can you imagine that picture of him trying to move like this? And he's like, no, God's all I need. Let's go. We need to take off what the world tells us we need to go into battle. You need to have more money before you face that obstacle. You need to have more book knowledge before you have that conversation. You need to do this. You need to do that. No, 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 no. If God called you to it, he'll resource you in it. He will give you the words to say. He'll give you the resources you need to step up and to face that giant. And you're not unknown. God's delivered you before. He will deliver you again. That's what David said. May we anchor in that today. However, when we go to step out for the Lord, we are not armorless. We are covered in the army of the Lord. We are covered in spiritual armor. Remember, at the end of the day, we're fighting a spiritual battle, not a physical one. We need to be armored up appropriately. David said no to the physical armor that was not the right size, was not the right fit for him. 
but he stepped out in faith in, in the armor of the Lord. Here's, how the, here's what Paul writes in Ephesians about the armor that you and I have access to today as we fight and face our giants. Finally, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, uh, be strong, uh, 13, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. That's a key point, all of it, not some of it, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all that, to do what? Stand firm. We have the opportunity to stand. The amazing news is no matter what giants you're facing, you can do two things today. You can withstand whatever they throw at you. That's what this text says. God's word is true. Take it to the bank. And you can stand firm against whatever obstacles lie in front of you. You can take it in a defensive posture, and then you can stand firm in an offensive posture, all through the gospel and all through the word of God. First, we need to recognize the true enemy. Right, realize that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and so on and so forth. We need to avoid friendly fire. Stop trying to fight the person next to you. See the real enemy. We need to armor up so we can stand and withstand. What does it mean to armor up? You'll see this picture behind me of what some of the, the Ephesians 6 spiritual armor is. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17 outlays this. We don't have time to go into an extensive detail, but it talks about the fastening your belt of truth. Are you hanging on God's word? Because if God's word is not fastening you, if it is not holding you, if you don't have your belt, guess what? You're going to fall down. The belt holds everything together. If you're not anchored in the truth of God's word, or you're not believing, you will not be able to run. You will not be able to fight. Secondly, are you putting on your breastplate of righteousness the righteousness, yes, that Jesus, through the cross, gives you and I. Righteousness is the ability to stand before God without blemish. That is only possible through Jesus Christ. Because you and I don't have many blemishes. We have sinned. We cannot pay the price for our own sin. Jesus paid your price and mine because he lived a perfect life, fully God, fully man, died on the cross. He gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin and puts it on his account. So when Satan comes, you're not worthy. You, Yes, I am. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then we are called to pursue the righteousness of God. Not just to wear it, but then to pursue it. Matthew 5 talks about that in the Beatitude. That's when you're going to be full and filled and satisfied. Choose readiness by giving to the gospel of peace. Meaning wherever I step, wherever I go, that I am ready to be an ambassador of God. That I am a peacemaker reactively, whatever comes my way, and proactively, intentionally that I'm looking to be a peacemaker, that I'm looking to share the gospel. Wherever my feet go, I'm going to go hard places. I'm willing to go where people haven't heard the gospel. I'm willing to then go into messy situations in our neighborhoods. I'm willing to go into the workplace and be an ambassador. Talks about a shield of faith that is able to extinguish all the flaming arts of of our adversary, the devil. You know, two realities to that. You have flaming arts that are uh, flaming arrows that are being shot at you right now. They're coming. You have the ability to block them, but you have to put your shield of faith up. Again, remember, the first battle, the giant we have to face is what? In here. Belief. I believe. Shield up. Dart blocked. If it's not, that flaming dart will inflict a wound, and it hurts. It might not be fatal, but it hurts. And in battle, we all have battle scars. We all have wounds. We all praise God for his grace. And finally, we have a weapon, the sword of the spirit. This is your offensive weapon. Swing it. Swing it, quote it, preach it, proclaim it, believe it. But we are called to wear all, put on all armor of God. Which of those today are you struggling to put on, if any at all? We have, the, we have the helmet of salvation too. So your mind, when it begins to go places that Satan wants it to go, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. You can put that in your note, read it later. But that talks about the reality that this battle we have. Christ has already provided the victory. That Satan's a liar and that we can take every thought captive to the reality of the gospel. So which of those pieces do you need to put on right now to face the giant, whatever you, you need to put them all on, but what's one that maybe you've been slacking and putting on? Because we need to armor up appropriately, not in what the world says we need, not even what church says we need, but what God says we need. I got to see a movie this past week. More on it in a second. Top Gun 2. I won't spoil it. Here's a non-spoiler. It's about airplanes. (laughs) 
And that there comes a point, there's a battle coming, and there, there's these world-class fighter pilots that are being trained by some instructor, and they're like, oh no, that the enemy might have, has advanced aircraft, has superior technology, and they're like, how do we face that? And the trainer goes, it's not about the plane, it's about the pilot. The same reality, that giant's going to be taller than you, it's going to be bigger than you, it's going to look scary to you. But friends, in our facing the giant, it is not about the size of the giant, it's about the size of our God who is facing the giant. And we all need to be reminded of that. Confidence in the character of God gives you the conviction and courage to stand for God third and final key to the victory that we are facing in our key to victory and facing our giants today is this, is to battle boldly. Battle boldly. David finally faces Goliath. The Philistine, verse 41, moved forward and came near to David and with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth. He's like, really? This is the best you can do after 40 days? This is all you got? You haven't been hitting the gym? You send up this scrawny kid from the minor leagues? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give you to the flesh of the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. In verse 45, David, David swings his sword. He's got stones, but he's also got the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Remember, he's filled with the spirit, the same one that you and I have access to. He proclaims the promises of God directly in the face of his giant. And he says this, which is what you and I need to do. You come at me with a, jav- with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come at you in the name of the Lord, the hosts, the God of armies, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies to the host of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is whose? It's the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. At this point, I, become wor- I sort of become a little empathetic to Goliath, because he's done. The Philistine arose for 48, and he drew near to meet David, and David ran quickly towards him. He ran at his giant to confront him courageously, because he was armored up appropriately, and he was ready to battle boldly. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David didn't throw away his shot, and neither should you and I. David prevailed over the Philistine, and it just took one shot with the sling and with the stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. David, 51, ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword out, drew it out, took the Philistine's sword, drew it out of the sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. He decapitated the Goliath. Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shuram as far as Gath and Ekron. God is awesome, is he not? David didn't need a sword. He didn't need a spear. He just boldly proclaimed the truth of God's word. May you and I do that today as well. The Philistines fled when their champion was dead. And the Israelites all of a sudden were bold and were courageous, were they not? Why? Because their champion stood victorious. And they got a little pep in their step and they ran. They, they got in the fight. They got in the battle and they began to pursue. A couple of really important things about this story. Number one is this. At its core, it's about obedience. It didn't matter the size of the Goliath or the obstacle that they faced. It's about whether the Israelites would trust God and step out in obedience to him. We face giants big and small every single day. The question is not how big the giant is, but how big your faith is. Will you be obedient out of reverence to God? Where is God asking you to be obedient? Trust his promises. I promise to give you this land. Trust him. Step out. Trust the character of God that, well, they have seen giants before, and God has slayed them. Where do you need to act? The second is this. This is one of the most misunderstood stories in the entire Bible. And you might be like, what? David and Goliath is often used as a metaphor for a little man and a big man, a sports metaphor, a political metaphor, the underdog, right? And look, I love a good underdog story. I've watched Hoosiers about a hundred times, literally. (laughs) I love Rudy. This is not an underdog story because I'm not David. And as has been said before, you're not David. Well, unless your last name's you or Blum, but not that David. David's pointing to Jesus. 
This is about representative warfare. And we have our champion that represented us on the cross and slayed and slew death once and for all. It only took David one shot. It only took Jesus one death. And our sins have been paid for forever. So we are like the Israelites in verse 51 and 52, so that when we see our champion risen from the grave, standing and reigning victoriously, we pick up our swords and we go rout the enemies in front of us. We go fight in the confidence because our champion already purchased the victory on the cross named Jesus Christ, amen? That's the story of David and Goliath. That gives us the power to fight boldly. This is not the little engine that could work harder. This is a great big God that can and will and already has. This is a worship issue as we elevate our our view of God and ascribe greater worth to him over our giant. We will face our giant with confidence. We will armor up appropriately and we will battle boldly and we will see the victory. The victory might not be what you want it to be. It might not be what you think it would be, but you will see it. Goliath might have been the Philistines' champion, but Jesus Christ is the one true people's champion of every tribe, of every tongue, and of every nation. Amen? He makes a way where there was no way, and he's provided for us a victory. Paul writes about that in Romans 8, 37. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Look at your friend and say, next to you, you are a conqueror. In and through Christ, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Isn't that awesome? I hope you believe that. Whatever you're facing, you're an overcomer because of the one who has already overcome for you. Now, we all have giants. How will we face them? Well, here are five different stones that you can use to slay your giants. Right? David had five. Here are five ones today for you. You get your pouch out, you can go this. Here's the first one that God is always with me. Takes one shot. Whatever you're facing, shoot that thing at your giant. God is with me. Whatever your stronghold you're trying to have over me. No, no, no. Not today. God is with me. Amen? You need to preach directly. You need to proclaim directly God's truth to your giant. Stone two. God is continually fighting for me. All I need to do is be still and be prayerful. God is fighting for me. Exodus 14, 14. God is fighting for me. He's already won for me. Stone three. God is faithful to always keep his promises to me. He promised him the promised land. He's going to give it to him. No matter how big Goliath is. The the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Stone four. God will always provide a way for me. God used David to provide the way. He used Jesus to provide the way for us. He will always provide a way for me. That's his promise. Stone five. God will always glorify himself in me and through me. And if God's glory is your end game, you will never lose a battle. If God's glory is not your end game, you will lose plenty. Because God's glory, God glorifying himself might mean that you don't get what you want. Because we talk about naming our giants and sharing them. Let me share with you one of mine as we move to close. I got to spend this last Monday with my dad in, a, in an early Father's Day gift. We, I went, spent, he was just outside of Ocean City, and uh, he's one of my heroes. He's going to turn 65 later in this year. He's a longtime worker, in the, in the, in, and he was for Circus City and others in the corporate world, and then he moved to the ministry several years ago. Uh, he's, God has used him in huge ways. He has always been a high achiever, fast goer, let's go, let's go. God has used him in a variety of churches for ministry in profound ways. For the last three years, he's been losing feeling in his left side of his body, and it's continued. We've prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to stop this or change it or heal him, but God has chosen to not so far. He was recently in the last year diagnosed with some form in the family of Parkinson's disease. This past week, it was announced that he will be fully retiring from their church later this year, and, but he will continue to train and equip and deploy a leadership development program that he has there because he's all about discipleship and deploying people. My dad's life is not going to be as long as I would like it to be. My dad's quality of life is not going to be what I want it to be. 
And that's really hard for me. And in many ways, I've been scared to face that. Pray about it, talk about it, but deal with the reality of it. Interact with it, confront it. It's been really hard. I, I met with a mentor of mine, a pastor who's one of my mentors and a count, biblical counselor to me a couple months ago, and he, he gave me some great advice. It was both a love, lovingly and a kick in the tail all at the same time. He said, Dan, stop focusing on what you can't do with your dad anymore and start focusing on what you can do. Make new memories. Enjoy this time. Celebrate it. So I took him to see the movie, and it was great. Sometimes seeing the victory doesn't mean your loved one gets healed. But my dad's prayer through it all has been like, God, glorify yourself. He's like, maybe there's a doctor at Johns Hopkins that needs Jesus. God, glorify him. It's not ignoring the reality of the difficulty. And we pray with, I pray with my parents for about 45 minutes. My mom was like, last week was really, really hard for me, the reality of him not. He's like, this isn't what we envisioned for the future. Maybe you have some stuff that is, is different than what you had planned. But God, he's the same God. And if your prayer is, God, glorify yourself, which is what my dad's prayer is, and give me the endurance to persevere. And if my life is shorter than what I want it to be or longed for it to be or whatever, getting to the point of that's okay with me because it's all about your glory is a journey, and I'm not sure that I'm there yet. Me. But it took a step this week to face the giant. Where do you need to take a step this week to face your giant? To begin to embrace the new reality that God is going to work for his glory, maybe in a way that you don't want him to, but that he knows is best for you. Where do you need to confront it? Where do you need to fight and pray and say, God, work and God, be moved and lay it down and surrender. Name it, interact with it, face it, and get help because no one walks alone. I needed help. I needed someone to love me and hug me and give me a little kick in the pants. And I had someone that did that for me. We're here to do that with you. Or maybe it's not somebody, I don't know who it is for you, but get help. You can't fight alone. The lone wolf dies. Where do you need to confront courageously today the unbelief in your heart? Where do you need to armor up appropriately? And where do you need to begin to battle boldly for the sake of the Lord and the glory of his name? You just close your eyes with me. Next 30 seconds or so, just ask the Lord or maybe give to the Lord the battles that you're facing today. Maybe confess unbelief and ask him to help you with your unbelief in a certain area. Maybe it's a declaration to believe again. Maybe it's an asking to take, to give a practical step to choosing to confront your giant. Maybe it's a commitment to actually this week in small groups, share your giant and ask for help. Maybe it's a part of the armor of God that you need to put on today and then take an action step. Maybe it's a promise of God that you need to proclaim into your own heart and into the face directly of your giant like David did. Proclaim the character of God, anchor in the promises of God, and you will be equipped to stand with conviction and courage in front of the giants that are facing you. I'll close this in prayer in about 30 seconds. Father, thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that you gave me the grace enough to confront my grief and my situation with my dad this week. And God, in this moment, there are marriages that are hurting. I pray that you would give the confidence to work and 
God, there are relationships that are afraid, there are futures that are uncertain, there are illnesses that are overbearing, there are finances that are struggling, there are questions that are looming, and in this moment, God, we ask that you would work because you are the same God. You are the God of Abraham, you are the God of Jacob, you are the God of Isaac, you are the God of David, you are the God of every single man and woman in this room and listening online. You are that same God. You've done it before, God, do it again. Give us the strength to believe. Give us the courage to confront. For your glory, God, help us to change what we view as a victory, God. No longer deeming it necessary for you to do it our way, but giving it to you, surrendering it to you, and asking you to do it your way for your glory, God. Have your way, God. And as we look to our ultimate champion, Jesus Christ, who slayed sin, who slayed death, we rise right now and we sit with confidence and boldness, even in our grief, in our lamenting, God, help us to be faithful, to see the hope that you offer through the steadfast mercy of your character, the unending grace, the forgiveness that never runs dry, and the love that is unconditional, God, thank you for Jesus. Fill us with reverence and fill us with obedience to step out in confidence to face our giants because you have already won our victory. In your name we pray, amen.